0: So I, I have this thing that I read every Easter and I was looking up for the attribution of it and I can't find it. So you can all believe that I wrote this and that's completely fine with me. Uh, but I haven't quotes, so it's probably not for me. I was also asked by the way to, to show my, my Jesus BRB mug just so everybody can get the joke. Normally I'm left-handed so it faces me and nobody can appreciate the humor. So <laughs> there we go. It makes a big difference whether we think someone is dead or alive. People who are alive are still capable of doing new things and saying new things. They can change their minds. When someone is still living, we're in relationship with that person. New data is still coming in. As a result of this continued contact, knowledge of the living person grows and changes. The dead, on the other hand, stay still. Their deeds are ended. Their words are complete. Their power, however impressive it may once have been, is gone. Others have quite literally taken their place, walking over the spot where they lie buried. The most important question concerning Jesus, then, is simply this Do we think he is dead or alive? If Jesus is simply dead, we cannot reasonably expect to learn more from him. If he is alive, however, everything changes. It's no longer a matter of our questioning historical context, but a matter of our being put in question by the one who has broken every rule of human existence. If Jesus lives, then it must be as life giver. Jesus is not simply a figure of the past in that case, but a person in the present. Not a memory that we can analyze and manipulate, but an agent who can confront and instruct us. What we learn about him must therefore include what we continue to learn from him. one of those places where there's no equivocation there's no middle ground between dead and alive there's no mostly dead (laughs) if jesus is dead his story is complete if he is alive his story continues so i say again he is risen so let's let's pause and actually realize how absurd this claim is that death could not hold. I, I feel like when we've been in the church for a while, when we've heard these stories for a while, we forget how absolutely crazy these claims are. That Jesus was dead and buried and came back to life with a beating heart, with a pulse, breathing and speaking and interacting with people. Jesus is no longer dead. Every person, the, the, the normal rules of life that we see do not apply here. This is a claim that is unlike anything else that can be, be, be put forward. If we think that this is just simply a theological lesson, if we think that this is simply something that we, we try to understand from an internal complex, we are missing the absolute gravity of the statement that he is risen. He died a public, shameful, drawn-out death, and he is alive and he continues to live. This equivocation is not just a a minor point. We're not just glossing over some things. It's not misunderstanding. This is major. And for so many, this is actually unbelievable. You can take truths from from these lessons that he taught, these moral teachings that we, we think are so wise and good and walk away from it not knowing the power of God. But if we want to have a relationship with God himself, it has to contain the fact that Jesus is alive. Luke 24 because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. If you look in the tomb in our lobby, you'll see cloth lying by itself. So where where can we turn? We've been in this series of Lent. We've been talking about turning away from certain things and turning turning towards other things. We say no to certain things so that we can say yes to other things. On Palm Sunday, we turn to see Jesus in a brand new way. We're turning away from ourselves, and then we get a glimpse of him, the triumphant king coming into the place and celebration and healing and all of this breaking forth in his presence. We see Jesus in a new way, our arriving king, welcomed and celebrated. On Good Friday, we see a suffering servant. We see the Messiah laid bare. And today... Today, we haven't all seen him with our own eyes, but the witnesses begin reporting he has risen. He has triumphed over death. We, we talked in the series about Dashboard Jesus. I, I brought him back so we can look at him again. Dashboard Jesus, right? We talked about him. We laughed about him. We thought that it was rather funny. And, and we understand that there's not much power in a Dashboard Jesus, you know? But I'm going to introduce you to a a new Jesus today, one that hopefully we'll also be able to to laugh at and and discard. And this is snapshot Jesus. It's kind of harder to get a picture of him, so you have to go to Google. If you just look for Jesus, none of this is accurate. (laughs) I am sure that none of this is really what he looked like. And it's amazing that that you can go, you see Buff Jesus, he's in there. You've got the the cross. You have to go to the fourth row down to get the resurrected Jesus there. And, you know, there's a lot of, of. Bright light just shining and emanating from him. You know, I, I feel like I could recognize him in a crowd if, if this is the Jesus that, that we had. Snapchat, snapshot Jesus is somebody that I am sure you've met because I know that you have snapshot friends. If you have a computer, if you have a phone, if you have any social media, you know snapshot friends. There's a lot of posing, there, there's a lot of posturing, there, there's a whole lot of setting the stage. I to tell you as a church sometimes this is one of the things right this is Easter Sunday this is a it's a big deal you know it's, it's a big deal that that we get dressed up for I have a collar on this shirt I'm not wearing <laughs> jeans it's a big deal right we can tell I see at least one tie I don't know if there's more than one tie not not to call you out but it's a wonderful thing when we get dressed up for this and I think that the, the tension that we feel right is that we want to set the stage correctly right we have flowers we, we, we decorate differently. We, we put on our best. And what we're doing, there, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One is that we're trying to present Jesus in a light that he's not normally found in. We're trying to present ourselves in a light that we're not normally found in. You know when you have guests coming over to your house and it's like, put the toys under the couch so that they, they can't be seen, vacuum that spot that hasn't been vacuumed in a while. We'd never do that in my house, but I'm sure you do. And, and, and this is the problem, right? We want to set the stage to, to create an appearance that isn't true the rest of the time. That's, a, that's kind of a lie, right? The other way, of course, is that we actually set the stage by laying ground flat, by setting the stage so that he can come in as he is, that, that there's no hindrances to him coming in there. And that's hopefully the way that we wanna do it, that we can acknowledge who he is and see who he is. But snapshot Jesus is, is one of a few ways. You know him as the highs, right? That whenever your life is going good, praise the Lord. Right, <laughs> snapped out. Jesus, he, he, I'm so grateful. The Lord has blessed me. Right, and people, you know, no matter how hard their life might be, you say, "How are you doing?" The Lord is great. You know, and you get you get this positive thing always. Or sometimes it's the lows. Right, people who are it's like Eeyore. You know, I, I actually really love Eor, but you know, you've got the shadow of death always looming over them, and you've got victim mentality, and everything's a struggle, and you've got the suffering servant all the time. Now the thing about Jesus really is he's not a snapshot god he doesn't show up in just these posed glimpses of our lives on on certain days of the year that's not the god that i want to come and worship the lord that was there on the cross on friday is the lord that was resurrected from the tomb on sunday it's the same god throughout the entirety of the week through all of the season, through all of the twists and turns we don't just get glimpses of Him here and there you can hear his voice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You don't have to set the stage with with flowers and put on your Sunday best to be able to come here and, and hear the Lord God. That's not it. We want to be a church that is always about the resurrected Lord. This Sunday, in a lot of ways, hopefully it's going to be like all of our Sundays. We want this to be that we are always a people that are living in the age where the Lord is Lord, that He is risen, and we remember that and celebrate that, and celebrate the power that He's given to us, the authority, the freedom, the forgiveness that we have because of who He is and what He's done, and that is not changed by any circumstance that we find ourselves in. I thought about showing you a few of my snapshot friends, um, but I don't think you need that that visual. You, you get these glimpses of, you know, people posing while they work out or always on vacation. They're always on vacation, <laughs> right? And this isn't to call anyone out because really there's nothing wrong with sharing those good moments, right? That's, that's what we do. But it creates an impression. And that's where the problem starts, where we think that that's got to be the reality, where we think that's got to be what it looks like. You know, it, it all has to be staged. It all has to be posed. That's what my Christian life should look like. It should only look like these good times and never like the hard times. It should only look like triumph and never look like the struggle. You know, that there should never be sickness or, or, or death. It should always be this unending victory, always and always increasing, increasing. You know, and that is not the life that I, I've enjoyed as a disciple of Christ. I, I, I always feel like there should be this disclaimer when somebody comes to become a follower of Christ and be like, are, are you sure? <laughs> like, are, are you really sure? Do you know what this is going to cost you? It's gonna cost you everything it's gonna give you eternity it's gonna cost you everything your highs your lows all of these things are gonna be before the throne of God and you will have trials and you have persecutions and and there's gonna be struggles you don't even know about and there's gonna be dark seasons and there's gonna be bright days and you're gonna have a community around you it's a good offer I guarantee you that but do you know what you're signing up for it's about recognizing how we've done this to God, how we've made a snap, a snapshot Jesus. It's Christ without context. It's teaching without applications. It's highs without lows, or it's lows without highs. The thing is, Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That is a profound thing. That He's not the God who shows up for the photo op and then leaves. He is Christ with us. He is God. With us, So this is where I wanted us to end up with this whole series of Lent and turning the idea of where else can we turn when Christ is all that you have. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and will raise them up at the last day. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, understatement, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Really? A guy standing before you, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's beyond a hard saying. You know, like, and, and nobody took him literally at the moment, you know, pulled out a fork and was like, all right, well, let's, <laughs> let's do it. You know, there was something weird going on here. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Yes. <laughs> then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus had known from the beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the father's enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't wanna leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can you go? I've, I've put my lot in this. I've put my trust in this. I, all I have is you. <laughs> like, if, 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 if this isn't true, I'm lost. If, if this doesn't pan out, I'm, I'm, I'm done for. I mean, all I have is Jesus. I've given everything to this. That's the cause that we have. And, and this is before the cross. This is before the empty tomb. This is where they just said, you alone have the words of life. This is based on the teachings that he brought to them. This is based on the life that he lived before them. This is based on the fact that they could tell in their spirit that something was going on, that he was the Messiah, the anointed one. He lived life with them. He didn't show up as some abstract form of some rabbi that was higher and better than them, drop some kernels of wisdom, and then then walk on. We live in a celebrity culture where God is not among us. We live in a celebrity culture where we we wait to hear these little tweetable things we want to grab, just these little tidbits. And then we try to, to sustain ourselves with that when we have the promise of the Lord God himself being with us, giving his life for us, offering his flesh and his blood to sustain us, that we have nowhere else to turn because he alone has the words of life. I want to... To get all physics-y with you, um, I could talk about Jesus in the fourth dimension, but that sounds really geeky, even, even for me. Um, but because I've said that, a lot, allow me to at least say it a little bit. You know, you know what? A, a <laughs> that was my disclaimer. So you, you got a two-dimensional line, right? You got a three-dimensional object, like, you know, me standing before you. Fourth dimension is over time, where you see something like a ball thrown. You can see the trajectory of it over time. And this is the understanding that we have is Jesus didn't just show up, drop a two dimensional page before you with words that you could just read and say, that's it. You know, he actually interacted with them. You real time, you had three dimensional Jesus. But now what we have is Jesus over time. We have, we have the trajectory of his life that we see the beginning, the middle and the end, and then the continuation of it. We have Jesus over time revealing who he is, who you are, by his light there's this book that I read I think I had to read it for school stranger in a strange land anybody wow okay one I I feel kind of lonely right now um there's this one part in the whole book that really struck me with me over the years and and this is where Heinlein the, the, who he talked about this profession and made a profession called a fair witness the idea of the fair witness is that they could only draw conclusions of things that they knew for, for facts. They, they couldn't conjecture. They wouldn't infer things that they didn't. So the instance that we have here, the character says to the fair witness, describe the color of a house in the distance. And she responds, it's white on this side. And they say that, you know, she couldn't assume knowledge of the other side. The other sides could be blue or red or, or black. I, I don't know. I can tell you this side of the house is white. So there's, there's no inference there, there's no uh, assumption of what's beyond what they can observe and then more than that um, she couldn't tell you what she saw previously she said a few minutes ago it was white i don't know what it is now if i can't see it now i can only tell you what it was a few minutes ago that's the idea of this this fair witness so we have witnesses of exile throughout scripture we have witnesses of kings we have the witness of poets and prophets and priests. We have witnesses of slaves and servants. We have witnesses of people whose loved ones died and were resurrected. We have the witness of those who lost loved ones and they're waiting to see them again when all things are made right. We have the witness of people who, who triumphed and had great things. We have the witness of people who suffered and lost and knew that as the end of their story. These witnesses of the promised people in the promised land longing for something that we now have among us. The full witness of Scripture shows us a more perfect picture of Jesus. The full life walked with Jesus that leads us to a full life. With this snapshot Jesus, we're left to our own devices. We try to conjure up, we try to make something happen. It's a really terrible thing to feel like we have to make something. I tell you, as a pastor, you want Easter to be wonderful. You want people to learn. I want everybody to have this, this episode where everybody's on your knees repentant, and the Holy Spirit just comes, and there's angels descending and ascending, and, and I'm, yeah, I did that. That's not how this happens, because I can't do that. We can't set the stage to make these things happen. There's no incantation we can speak. There's no perfect scripture to read to make these things happen. But we live a life faithfully following after Him. We say, Lord, let your voice be louder than all the others. As you were kind, may we be kind. As you were forgiving, may we be forgiving. As as you came not to judge the world but to love the world, may we be in that same vein. Dealing with wealth and seasons of plenty and healthy community, many of us leave Jesus behind. For others, when we walk in the shadow of death, we look, but we don't see him. We only expect a hand to come from heaven and set everything right again. Jesus on the cross, what we saw on Good Friday, was incomplete. It was a complete sacrifice. That's not the entirety of what God wants. Jesus in the empty grave shows us another dimension. starts to color in the picture a little bit more. You've had those two things, you've got two dimensions. It's more complete, but let's rewind. Jesus walking and talking and teaching, that gives us another dimension. Jesus at the right hand of God right now, interceding for us, that gives us yet another dimension. The picture starts to become clear. If we don't walk with Jesus to the cross, we might not recognize him at the empty tomb. I wanna say that again. If we don't walk with Jesus to the cross, we might not recognize him at the empty tomb. I'm not going to doubt God's love, his attention, his pursuit of people, but I doubt our ability to recognize him if we've not been walking with him all along. If we only have a snapshot Jesus, then all of a sudden in this moment of need, I'm going to look around and I don't recognize him. I don't know where to turn. Is that my God? I don't know. I haven't talked to him in a while. You know, I I don't know what his voice sounds like as much because I only talked to him on the highs. I only talked to him when I'm on the mountain. I don't know what his voice sounds like in the valley. You know, how can I even recognize him? You know, I, if, if I'm on, I'll tell you, when I get on the mountain, I'll, I'll tell you if it's him or not. I'll be able to ask him then. And what we're doing is we're making it harder on ourselves. And it, it's out of compassion and, and pity that you say, walk with the Lord day in and day out. This, this isn't an admonition saying, how dare you forget your faith? This is saying the better life, the rich life, the full life has Jesus in fourth dimensions over all time with you day in and day out. Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He lives. He lives in bodily form. This is after his death and his resurrection. And, and when we talk about this in Colossians, he lives in bodily form. What an amazing statement. That's, that's nonsense if you understand that the, the grave was the end of the story. But he was on the cross, and he is victorious over death. This is first Corinthians. I declared you brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that's written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power sins the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the, the finer points of division that the church has levied against each other. <laughs> um... Unfortunately, you probably are. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a big depiction. There's a lot of theological constraints that we put upon the Lord, the suffering servant or the conquering king. And whole churches develop theology and function and form after these things because we make this a false choice. We, is it Good Friday or, or, or Easter? For some, we put the importance of, of the crucifixion, as we see in that First Corinthians one twenty three, where Paul writes, we preach Christ crucified. And so they'll have a, a cross with Jesus always on it because we preach Christ crucified. So we have Jesus on the cross and this depicts him there. And we, how blessed are those to see that he suffered, to see that he understands, to see that he overcame. Others that we have an empty cross and that shows what, that he's not on the cross anymore, that he was resurrected, that that he's risen. And so we have a different picture there. Church, we need each other. (laughs) We need a full picture of the gospel. We're going to be forced into these either-or camps. We're going to turn brother against brother when the Lord is Lord of all. When we understand Good Friday and Easter come together, that they have to be hand-in-hand hand because there's no, no gap there. The Lord didn't miss out on something. This was the plan. This was the purpose. This is how he does these things. This is how he wants to lead you from day to day throughout your life. We need a full revelation, the full gifting of the body, the full experience because life can change in a moment, as you know. Loss, disease, pandemic, war. Don't let your wealth lure you into a a false sense of security in yourself or your ability. Don't let your suffering overwhelm you and crowd out the picture of what Jesus is trying to make known. Christ won. He won. He suffered and he was victorious. And his, his victory overshadows the suffering. It's not yin and yang. It's, it's not, it's not the, the good side of the force and the bad side of the force that have to balance it out. That, you know, it's going to be a struggle, but maybe we'll see how this works out. That's not the story of the cross and the, and the resurrection. It's not equal parts. We may all have our seasons of darkness and sorrow and loss, but on Resurrection Sunday, we reckon with the God who could not be killed. The idea of winning that we're comfortable with is that for somebody to win, somebody has to lose. I've been a coach. You know how this works. There's really only, you know, the, the, the trophies for everybody. Kids see through that. <laughs> they keep score. I was always amazed at that. Even whenever we have the very young kids, you know, who won? Well, here's your trophy. But who won? <laughs> how many goals did we get? How many goals did they get? They keep score. And that's the idea of winning that we have. And yes, whenever Christ was put to death in the grave, Satan was defeated. Witnesses, though, like we 're talking about spectators they 're not really on the winning team, though, are they so i 'll tell you u g a won the national championship Hey <laughs> not sure if you guys know this i 'm a Georgia bulldogs fan here we go i I, I almost <laughs> I had to bring it up because. I've been rather silent on it, you know, because you don't want to be mean about this. I'm not sure if, you know, how, how well this will go off in, in the crowd, but, but it's important that we know that we won. We won. <laughs> do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? We won. I'm a Georgia Bulldog, and we won the national championship. The last time Georgia won was in 1980. I was two years old. You could do the math and figure out how old I am now. It wasn't a we yet. They did that. I had nothing to do with that. You, do you see where I'm going with this? Did you have something to do with this? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I had everything to do with this one because at this point in time, it was the we. The, the thing is, church, we we, ha- we hate losing, right? I know we hate losing. We, we hate being on the losing side of, of whether it's an argument or, or whether it's a, a struggle we're going through. We hate losing. I had a real moment at our Good Friday service, a real repentant moment, making my way through the stations. And um, I got to the end where, if, if you haven't been a part of the service, it, it's, I find it terribly moving, even though I know what all the stations are. And at the end, you, you've been carrying a rock around with you. And it's inconvenient. It's hard. It's a struggle. You can't like you wish you had a third hand to, to write and do these things. And that's kind of the point. And at the end, you get to identify a sin that you leave at the tomb. And so I wrote something on there. I won't tell you what I wrote. <laughs> the rock's still in my car. Um, and I, I wrote it on there and I, I went to go put it on there and I, I just had this moment where I knew that that wasn't really truthful. Not because the sin wasn't there, but because my self-sufficiency was something where I didn't want to have to rely on grace. And this caused me to question, honestly, my entire walk with the Lord. Not, not in a way that I feel like, oh, I'm not even saved, not that at all, but just to realize how much I've been missing out on. All right, here I am, a pastor in a church, on Easter Sunday telling you I don't know that I've experienced the depths of grace because I want to be self-sufficient because I don't want to have to need grace I if I can just try better isn't that gonna be sufficient if I could be better I don't have to be as prideful I don't have to be as greedy I, I don't have to be as angered like I need to be better and if I'm better then, then I won't have to make these confessions anymore and I was struck with the fact That actually what I'm called to do here is rely on the empty tomb. To actually walk away from this with grace. To actually leave something there and not pick up my own self-sufficiency and be like, I'm just going to try to be better from here on out. This church honestly wrecked me for a good while. Because do you know what? We don't get the depths of what Christ is. I don't get with the depths of grace. I can preach on this. I could point you to scripture about this. Until we've lived this out with a fourth dimensional Jesus. I keep saying that. Sorry. You know what I mean? (laughs) We're missing out on this life and life to the full. And what a shame. I don't want to live that way. I I don't want to forget this. I I don't want to be self-sufficient because I don't think that's the way. I can't save myself. I can't have victory over death myself. I can't have victory over my sin myself. I can't be good enough. And I, I, I find the idea of having to rely on, on him or on anybody, being a burden to somebody, I don't know if it's from living in the South or to, you know if it's my own upbringing, I don't wanna be a burden to anybody, much less who I understand is the Lord of Lords. I don't want him to look at me with, with pity. I don't wanna have to him look at me and just feel like, oh, you messed up again because I feel then like his victory is over me and I've lost. His victory, church, is not over you. It's over those things that enslave you, the things that enslave me, His victory is over death itself. His victory is over the sin that has ensnared. us. His victory is over all of these things that have painted us into a corner where we then can't find our own way out. And we look and we see him and we realize, oh my goodness, I've missed out on this the whole time. I've been trying to pick my own self up on my own bootstraps. I've been trying to forge my own path. I've been trying to be respectable. I've been trying to be self-sufficient. And all along, he's just saying, take my it's what i bring to the table versus what he brings it's what i leave at the cross and what i leave without at the empty tomb this easter message they, they, these mean the most to me i i hope we are always a people of the resurrection but the thing is these are intimidating often to, to try to preach like i said we i had this exchange with, with leah here's a little little text message between two pastors I sent her this, it says, in the interests of biblical accuracy, all the preaching about the resurrection this Easter will be done by women. (laughs) And she texts back, you're not getting out of this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but biblically accurate, it should be, you know, we, we could get Lee up here and she'll tell you all about this. This matters so much. I know we're a laid back church and I love that we're a laid back church, but we're laid back in not a way to demean the importance of things like this. What we know, what we have found is that life itself, this message of gospel grace, is the most important thing in the world. And if we set the stage thinking that any of these other things are going to be more important, if they overshadow that, if they overshadow that in our own minds that we think we can control or conjure this up or present a picture of Jesus that people will like better, shame on us. Shame on us. Because the gospel message that has to come forth is that He died for you, that you can leave behind the brokenness, the loss, the suffering, the self sufficiency, and you can find life as He intended for you to have it, not just today, but internally. That's the message of the cross and the empty tomb. That's what we're living, that's what we're exploring, that's what we're figuring out, that's what I'm figuring out. It's bigger than I thought, y'all, it's better than I thought. And I've been doing this now longer than I wanna talk about. (laughs) I've been a pastor, I've been a Christian, and all these things. And there's a depth to grace that is so beautiful, that is so wonderful, that we need to explore, that we need to share with the world. And every time we make it about judgment, every time we make it about something else in this, shame on us, shame on us. One of the things that I, I read on Good Friday that really hit home was this idea that, that Jesus knew, of course, that he was going to the grave. He had 24 hours left to live. We, we ask ourselves this all the time, right? You've got 24 hours to live. What do you do? Go to Disney World? Too far, right? What are the best things? We, we wanna live our best life. We wanna get all those experiences in 24 hours, right, that we can. Christ washed feet. He knew the end was coming He had a meal with his friends and he washed their feet. He carried on as he'd been living his entire life. His full life was with him all along. This was more of the same. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm gonna die in 24 hours. Come close, let me have a meal with you. You know, come, come close, let me wash your feet. Let me show you this so that whenever I'm gone, you'll do the same thing, that you'll have this full life kindness and love and generosity to each other attention to each other service and sacrifice this is what I want you to take he continued as he was he didn't change pace for the last 24 hours of his life he kept going in the direction he had been loving teaching and preparing his disciples that's the message for us now that it's new life everlasting now not after we die Jesus didn't switch gears. He prayed for us in John 14, but he stayed on that path. More of the same. What are you actually called to day in, day out? What's the cost? What's the reward? What does tomorrow hold for us? The way we came into this through the cross and the empty grave, that's the way we continue. That's living with the God day in, day out. That's fourth dimensional Jesus. That's the Easter message. That's being a people of the resurrection. That every step forward costs us everything coming to this point. This is a a John Wimber quote from way back. Remember that the economy of the kingdom is simple. Every time we come to cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. That's my Lord, (laughs) because he's gonna have me tomorrow. He's gonna have me the day after that. And as much as I try to control this thing, as much as I try to prepare for this thing, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. It could be another pandemic. There could be another war that breaks out. There could be the, the, this, the crash of the stock market and all of my savings that I've been doing for years are just gone. And, and if that's my hope, then I am lost in that moment. Eternity is too ambiguous for us. Life after you die feels too far away and too irrelevant. Today, we are with the Lord and tomorrow we'll be with him again. That's living with the Lord. That's the gospel life. And that's not to say eternal life isn't true. I believe in that. It's not saying those things are there, but our calling is now to be a people of the presence of God, to be faithful disciples today, tomorrow, to live this resurrected life here and now. Here's a question for you to, to take from this. Did Christ die because he needed to be resurrected or was he resurrected because he needed to die? Can you even ask that? Can you even separate these things from each other? See, the suffering servant of the victorious king, it's gotta be both and. It's gotta be both of these things. I think what we want often is the empty grave without the cross. We want victory without sorrow. We want Disney World without the (laughs) lines. I lost a few of you on that. But they work together. They work together. It's always moving onward. It's hard to track things in motion sometimes. You know, if, if, if Leah and I are watching a movie and we're distracted by our phones, you glance up and you don't know what's been happening and you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. we have got to rewind because things have changed. We've lost pace. When Jesus won, when he had victory over death, he didn't gloat. He didn't say, I win and in your face death <laughs> he wasn't stomping on these graves because he's inviting us to in- enjoy this with him after his resurrection he met his disciples for more food <laughs> he met them on the beach he talked to them he let them see him he engaged with them it was more of the same yes there's the ascension yes there's pentecost yes there's all these things but I want you to see how consistently good the gospel is that calls us to live a life before the Lord you trusting him with your sins isn't that you've lost it's not that you weren't sufficient but the thing is we're not but his victory isn't over us it's over those things that imprison us that lie to us that lead us astray that cause distress that cause fear and anxiety and depression that cause loss real loss here and now are you willing to actually give it up and to leave it behind? Are you willing to accept grace, or are you going to try to just do better next time? Are you willing to give up everything you've accumulated up to this point for the promise of the life that he has for you? I, I think that this is a big moment. This is really is a decision. I, I tell you, I had to do this on Friday. My kids actually asked me in the car. They're like, Dad, were you crying? I was like, yeah, I actually <laughs> I was crying in there right now. This, this wrecked me to realize grace is bigger and better than what I've understood. And I struggle with self-sufficiency. I don't want to have to use grace. I'd rather just not sin. Because if, if I could just stop sinning, then, then I don't have to feel bad and everything will be okay. But I keep messing up. And I need grace. And I fight it still. I fight it still so whether you've done this a thousand times or for the first time I think the call to all of us is the same let's join with him from this empty tomb let's leave behind everything we've accumulated to this point let's go forward into this life that he's promised us because whatever is going to come whatever is going to come I mean we've seen more in the past few years than many generations before us have whatever is about to come the Lord's got us We will find our way with him. Could the worship team come back up? I wanted us to end with a big swatch of worship. Okay, what's a good word? A big tidal wave of worship? I have a big tidal wave of worship here before we go out there and eat. Because this is, this is the, the context where I can really experience so much of the Lord's message. This is whenever we worship, whenever we acknowledge his goodness, it's, it's not singing songs. It's not just putting words out there in the air. It's speaking truth in a way that our soul can kind of get it, right? Poetry, beauty kind of does that. It, it allows us to, to get past our minds a little bit and engage heart to heart. The Bible says, as deep calls unto deep. So in this moment as we worship as we acknowledge the truth of who he is as we allow beauty and, and artistry to, to kind of speak a better word than maybe what we can say on ourselves you might have a moment where you realize you haven't quite yet laid this thing down maybe there's sorrow or grief that you feel like if i leave this behind I'm, i don't even know who i would be i know jesus in the lows i don't know if i can trust him to, to take me out of this if I if I leave this behind, where am I going to even go? Maybe you're on these mountaintops. Maybe you're only having success. And let this be a warning to you, right? You don't know what's going to come tomorrow. Allow the Lord to be the Lord and lead you day in, day out. Hear his voice. If this is the first time that you make that confession, if this is the first time, I want to pray with you. Because it can be foreign. It can be strange. It can be something... That you've not done before. Or you felt very uncomfortable. Or you're just not sure. So you can follow with me in this prayer. Lord. I don't want to rely on myself any longer. I can't do it on my own. I've made mistakes. And I'm sorry. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to experience life as you've designed it to be. I want to have life and life to the full. Where else can I turn, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life, and I don't even know what that means, so would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you lead me? Lord, would you save me? Save me from the patterns of this world. Save me from myself, even. I want to be counted among your friends, Jesus. I want to follow you today. And we celebrate this in the name of Jesus. Amen.